Today on the Imperfect Millennials, this episode is going to resonate with you if you are in a moment of transition and feeling lonely. If you feel like it's difficult to make friends, or maybe that you don't even have time for friends right now. Today, we're talking about loneliness and our social nature. Let's get started. Welcome to the Imperfect Millennials Podcast, a weekly podcast created by two sisters, Katie and Mona, dedicated to helping you navigate being a millennial. Let's take what makes our generation unique and not only survive, but thrive. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm 36. I'm a blogger and social media influencer at modlychic.com, and I have way too many passions and interests, so a couple months ago I thought, hey, let's start a podcast. (laughs) And I'm Mona. I'm 25. I have my master's in mental health counseling, and I have way too many side hustles to get myself out of all of this debt. Newsflash, we are the loneliest generation. No, seriously, we are. A new study found that 30% of millennials say they feel lonely. 30%. And I would actually argue that I think that number is probably a lot higher and some people don't even admit or know or can actually say that they're lonely. Oh, that's actually a good point. Yeah. Well, and it's it's who participated in this survey too, right? We talk a lot about that and like who's willing to participate and are lonely people willing to like take these surveys and get out there and say like... yeah. I'm lonely. Yeah, who really wants to say, like, I'm lonely? But according to the study, at least, right, um, 25% of millennials say they have no acquaintances. No acquaintances. None. That's interesting, though. 22% say they have no friends. Oh. 27% say they have no close friends. And 30% of us say we have no best friend. That blows my mind. It, it is. It's crazy. And I think it's so funny because when you're a little kid... You're always like, oh, Megan, she's my best friend. Yeah, everyone becomes your best friend. And you're all about that. And then when you're older, or at least for us as millennials, that's, I don't know, that's not the way it goes. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think one of the, that's interesting. Because I would say that I have acquaintances. Of course, there are people that I know that I've met that I've, I consider acquaintances. Yeah. I think I have a lot of acquaintances. Yeah. A lot. I would say that I have a few close friends. And then I, yeah, I have best friends. Yeah. But I almost wonder if, you know, friendship is really hard. It's hard to, like, maintain. It's hard to, um, and so I just wonder if thing if it's just, it's too difficult sometimes. And so people. Yeah. I think, I mean, friendship certainly as an adult is much more difficult than friendship as a child, right? When yeah. you're a kid. Right. Okay, back in the day, I'm totally aging myself. I remember <laughs> I'm on the high end of the millennial. But you would, like, go down the block, ring your best friend's doorbell, right. and, like, you would bike and roller skate, right. rollerblade all day. And that that was friendship. And, like, that's how you built friends. Mm. But it's not like I can go ring my, like, neighbor's doorbell now and be like, hi, do you want to play? As an adult. (laughs) (laughs) No one rings doorbells anymore. I think um, that's so interesting. Well, because, so this study talks a lot about friends and acquaintances, but I think what it's getting at is um, the social nature of human beings and the fact that people feel lonely because they're not being social. No acquaintances. I know. 
I mean, if you order pizza enough, eventually Todd, the delivery man, is going to become an <laughs> yeah, acquaintance. Yeah, right? The, like, like, checkout person at Mariano's. You go to the same time every week. Um, it, yeah, so what do you think, though, Mona? Like, would you say you're lonely now? Right now, uh, yeah. Okay, why? I think um, because I'm in this pretty big period of transition in my life. and um, Transition in what way? Like, I just moved back from Boston, and um, and so I'm sort of, like, in this in this period where I've come back, and not all of my friends are here. Some of the friends that mm-hmm. were here when I left have moved away, and so I am sort of trying to reestablish myself, and I'm trying to establish myself in my profession, and I'm working a lot of jobs, and I, so I think I don't have the same um, social network that I had in Boston. And sure. so during this period of these past couple of months have felt very lonely. Yeah. And I think probably for all of us, transitional periods are often some of the loneliest periods mm. in our lives. And I think that's probably true. I mean, across the board, no matter what your transition is. Right. So you talk to like, I have a couple of friends who are young moms and they'll say like those first three months after having a baby are wonderful and glorious and like, oh, you have this new baby, but they're so lonely because mm. you're like tethered to your house and to your child mm. in this beautiful new experience. And yet you have no social circle because mm. your whole life revolves around this little infant who can do nothing without you. Right. And I think that that's a really interesting phenomenon when we see this juxtaposition between two contradicting emotions or feelings coexisting. Right. Right some of the happiest times in our lives can be some of the loneliest Mm -hmm. and like you can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. It's not about proximity. It's about the depth of that relationship. And so you can still be with people and lonely. Right. Yeah. And I think it's like, ultimately it's about connection. Right. But like true, deep, profound connection Mm -hmm. with another person. Like when I think of, the loneliest times in my life are times in which I was like, geez, I'm super lonely or I just feel like I have no one. There are times in which I like there are transitional times, but there are also times in which like I lack connection that I had previously. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's the ending of a friendship or like, I think of when I went off to college, um, And I was, I'm the oldest of our whole family, right? So I was the first to go off to college, the first to leave. Everything was still happening at home, all of our traditions and whatnot. And then here I was off at Marquette Mm. alone with a roommate who um, was (laughs) less than ideal, ideal, challenging to say the least. And I just felt so disconnected. Mm. Like I just didn't have that connection with anybody and that, was probably my loneliest period in life. But one of the things that I realize is a large part of that was my fault. Oh, interesting. Why is that? So when I went up to college, this is pre-cell phones. Well, some people had cell phones, but I did not have a cell phone yet. Right. So my parents dropped me off. My whole family dropped me off and I'm there and it's a day, it's two days, it's three days. And my parents hadn't called to figure out to ask how I was. And I was livid. I was like, here I am adventuring on this new thing and no one's called. And then four days and then five days and then six days and then seven days and still no phone call from home. And at this point I was like, well, I'm not calling if they're not calling me. Right. I mean, super, that's super Katie. Um, (laughs) come to find out I had never given them my dorm phone number. 
Oh. So they didn't have it. Miscommunication. And so my dad had to tell his secretary after seven days of me being at school and them having no idea how I was doing that her job that day was to find my phone number. Oh. And she called Marquette and somehow convinced someone to pass on my phone number. Jeez. But like... That's interesting. Part of that was my fault. I got... Right. was a connection, but I, I screwed that up. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. One of the things in psychology that we consider a risk factor and one of the things that we look for um, is isolation, right? Is mm. And isolation can be like a physical thing, right? Like you're isolated from people or in your like living situation, right? And isolation can also be a feeling mm. in this mm-hmm. that... You know, elderly people are often isolated. Sure. They can't, they have a like low mobility and so they're isolated. And that's the physical sense, like to their home and they don't see many people. And then I think probably for younger, more abled body people, the isolation is more of a feeling. And so I can recall, like, so I'm 25 and a lot of my friends right now are in really serious relationships and they're engaged and they're going to be married within the next year. And that feels really isolating sure. and it's not even intentional and that's even hard to say that like oh i feel isolated over that but it's just because they're all experiencing something that i'm not and i'm not even close to and so right. there's that feeling of isolation and that leads to loneliness that yeah that disconnect from what other people are experiencing and you not being able to share that experience yeah and again like they're transitioning and you're not and right. again it's this like it's this transitional period that they're going through, but you're, you aren't there yet. And so you're not going through the transition. Yeah. So you're kind of left behind in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it's this feeling of left behind. Right. Because I think that's perceived. There's right. no, like, we think life is a race, right. And that, oh, we're behind or we're not, or we're here or we're there, but everyone is running a different race on a different course on a different path. And and so it's this perception of, oh, I'm behind or, oh, I'm, you know, when everyone's path is very different. Yeah. Um, I think too, part of it is we like, we need to get better at redefining friendship hmm. through like each stage or each season of our lives, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like your dynamic and your friendship with these people who are about to be married is going to change dramatically mm-hmm. after they're married because yeah. now like you, they might be your best friend, but now technically they have another best friend Yeah, and they have someone else they're going to spend a lot of time with. I think this all the time with like one of my best friends who's married and has three children and like, we're still really good friends, but I, I come in, nowhere near first in her life anymore. Right. Because, I mean, I shouldn't. You shouldn't. (laughs) Rightly, I shouldn't. But it's, but I still wish I did. Yeah. Right? I still wish it was like middle school or high school and where anything that happened, she knew and I knew and, you know. Right. But that's, that's not how it is now. Right. That's really interesting. And I think that that, and I, right, and I think some aspects of loneliness can be, fixed, not fixed, but like better understood in a conversation, right? With those people who do have close friends or a best friend, right? Like sometimes it comes down to communication. Like, would you have felt, would you have felt as lonely in college had you given mom and dad the phone number? No. Right. Right. And that was a lack of communication. Um, you know, and even having that courage to have that conversation 
I remember a time I had just moved to Boston and I was in my graduate program. Boston is a very different culture than Chicago and I was adjusting to that. I really didn't know anyone in Boston. I had a few acquaintances. Um, I was living with someone I had never met before and it was a really big transition and I was in a program and it was very competitive and I just remember feeling so lonely and I was so confused because I would walk through campus and I would sit in class with the same people. We had a cohort that just moved to every class together. Like sure. I was with the same people day in and day out. And I was, we had a, a like a two day long conference one weekend and I was walking to the parking garage with one of my classmates and she was like, how are you doing? And I stopped and I looked at her and I said, Jess... I am so lonely. And she looked at me and she's like, so am I. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to cry. And like, <laughs> and it was beautiful because like, I didn't know that she felt lonely and like, she didn't know that I felt lonely. And so she like put together this like brunch and we like a couple other girls in my program, like we went over to her house and we all had brunch together and it really started this friendship between this group of us and it was so nice, but it took that, I don't even know why I said it. It just kind of came out and I just blurted it like, I'm lonely. <laughs> and like, but I think, so it's interesting because Monica and I were talking about this before we started recording and we were thinking, okay, what are the reasons why millennials are so lonely? And one of the things we were talking about is this kind of fear of human relationships, mm. right? And that vulnerability and that true friendships take being vulnerable like that. Like yeah. to really have connection with another person, you have to be vulnerable mm -hmm. and vulnerability like always is going to kind of create that that bond because you shared a bit of you about a bit of your heart a bit of your soul yeah and therefore right so it's interesting how that goes together um according to the studies they say that three in ten so 30 percent right of americans say they find it difficult to make friends and the most common reason is shyness and i and katie and i were brainstorming about you know all these reasons why we thought and it's funny how our explanations lined up with these statistics, right? We said there's this fear of vulnerability and rejection and not being wanted or not being seen. And I think that, that ties perfectly like shyness, you know, I doubt that third, that these th three in 10 or 30% of Americans are all extreme introverts who are having a hard time. Like some of them might be extroverts or some of them might be, you know, introvert, extroverts, whatever that are scared of being vulnerable with someone who may not accept what you have to offer. Right. And that's really hard, right? Like that could have backfired on me. Like she could have looked at me and been like, why are you sharing that with yeah. me? Like, you know, um, but I, it's hard to lean into that vulnerability. Right. But I don't think, well, I don't I think, think you're going to be less lonely unless you do that. Right. You have to lean into it. And I think you have to let go of, past experiences that perhaps proved to a certain extent that being mm. vulnerable is bad. Mm. Right. And maybe that's a friend or a really a romantic relationship that you invested a ton of time in. You were super vulnerable with. Right. And then you were rejected mm -hmm. in some way. Right. Or the friend just ghosted you. Mm -hmm. Right. Or whatever. And we all have that. You know, mm -hmm. I in high school had one friend group through my sophomore year in high school. And then over the summer, 
they decided that was the end of that. Right. And I can remember starting, starting junior year and being like, where do I even sit? Like, mm. where do I sit at lunch? Oh. Right. Like, I don't know. And, and taking that, that fear of like being friends and like making new friends with me to college, which is mm-hmm. then probably also why my freshman year in college, I was more lonely than any other time. Cause I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't want them to like drop me again sophomore yeah. year when they're like, you know, and I can't, it's harder to make friends then. So, you know, you take that with you, but I think we have to move beyond that and be like, it's okay to be vulnerable and that this is going to create the connection that I need. Well, and I think something to always remember is that there will always be people who don't like you and that's not your fault. Like that's on them. I mean, unless you're a jerk, then like <laughs> check your heart and fix yourself. Yeah. But you know, there will always be people who, yeah, who have beef, right? And that, like, that's not, that's not on you. And that, that doesn't mean that other people aren't going to be that keeper of right. your vulnerability and yeah. journey with you long term. Like, there's this really great analogy. I forgot who told me this, but they were like, your life is this long bus ride, <laughs> And people get on and off the bus all the time. And there are some people who are on for the life, for the, for that whole ride. And there are some people who are on for one stop. There are some people who get on and they're like, never mind, and get off. And so, but that hmm. they're, like, it's very and transitional. I, right. And I think, too, that even those people who are on for a stop or two, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that those friendships weren't real or weren't valid while they lasted. Mm-hmm. Right. That friend that you had in college who then you lost touch with or in high school and then that was over. That doesn't mean that they're not they weren't a friend then. Mm-hmm. Right. But life moves on. Things change. And, and that's OK. And like we can love and appreciate that relationship for what it was at the time without looking at it and being like, oh, what was me? Like, we're not friends anymore. Yeah. Right. That kind of a thing. So. Uh, you've mentioned freshman year in college a lot. Uh, Can you think of other times in your life where you have felt really lonely? Um, so I, after college, I moved a lot. I lived in, well, counting college, I lived in six different places in 10 years. So I would say every time I transitioned to a new place Mm -hmm. was certainly a time of loneliness. I remember when I moved to New York, so I moved to New York right after college. So I was 22. I had just gotten a job, um, as a journalist working for the New York times. And, um, I was living with a couple other like young professionals at the time or a couple like college age students. And I can remember we would come home and we try to have dinner together and like, we were good friends, but we wanted to make friends outside of the house. Right. Um, and I can remember us coming home and everyone giving a report on whether they had made friends or not that day. Oh. And I can rem- I can literally remember the day my fr- my like roommate right Lucia came home and was like you guys I made a friend today and we were collectively so ecstatic for her mm-hmm. because it was like oh my gosh I'm finally I don't know like coming into my own in New yeah. York right so the first real friend I made in New York I was like oh like now this transition is over like now I have a friend here. Mm-hmm. So I think all the transition times are always, for me, the loneliest moments. Did, while while they were lonely, like, I don't know, the sixth time you moved, (laughs) while it might be lonely, was it easier? Um, I think it was easier. 
um, I think it was easier to a certain extent also because, because I moved a lot. I had, I have like one good friend in every city I lived in. So, you know, I moved from Milwaukee to New York, from New York to St. Louis, St. Louis to Boston, Boston to Milwaukee, Milwaukee to Chicago. Right. Um, and so I have one really, really good friend in St. Louis who I'm still in touch with. Right. I have a couple good friends in Boston who I'm still in touch with one from New York. I'm still in touch with. So with each new move, I had this cachet of friends mm -hmm. who were still there mm -hmm. and who had gone with that original, gone through that original yeah. transition with me. So I think it, yeah, it got easier. What did you, um, what helped you um, feel less lonely? I think, huh. I think getting out right away and like getting involved in something. Mm. Like, feeling less like a transplant and more like an actual, whatever, St. Louisian St. or uh, <laughs> Milwaukeean, mm -hmm. right? By getting a job right away and, like, launching into that or, I don't know, things, I guess, like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because, so back to these studies, they talk about how 27% um, of millennials find it difficult to make friends or 20, sorry, 27% who say they find it difficult to make friends actually say that they don't feel like they actually need friends. So 27% of millennials feel like don't need friends. I am guilty of saying that. I, it, I have said that before. That boggles my mind. No, I have said that before because I think, um, cause I went away to college and I, I wasn't getting along with everyone. It, it was a difficult experience for me. And, um, and I remember saying that, like, I, I don't need friends because I left high school with amazing friends who are still my best friends. And so for me, but it was totally a defense mechanism of like, right. I don't need these people anyways. But isn't that more saying, I don't need these people. I don't need these friends. It's not saying I don't need friends. Like, I see this stat as saying, like, mm. I feel I don't actually need friends in my life. Not I don't need to make friends with my work Co-workers. I mean, I agree with that. Like, you don't necessarily have to be friends with your co-workers. Right. But, like, you need friends. Well, and I think that this, when Katie and I were brainstorming, one of the things we thought is sort of a hindrance to the friendship category, but also a big player in loneliness is social media. And I like to call it, I literally have a, a, a file in my phone, or, like, when you, like, group your apps, that's social, but not. And it's all my social media. It's my <laughs> Instagram. It's my Facebook. It's my Twitter. It's like all, right, all of those things. It's social, but not. You're not actually being social. It's a very deceptive name. And I think, right, social media doesn't connect us to others in the same way that like a face-to-face -face interaction does. And so I think people probably feel like they don't need friends because they already know what's going on in a lot of people's lives and they're being social and they're connected. Mm -hmm. But it's actually not. Social media doesn't feed us. Right. In the same way that we need to be fed. Right. Yeah. I like that you have it labeled as social, not, but not as, <laughs> as a reminder to you as you're like clicking through, yeah. like this is good, but it's, it's not everything. Right. Right. Like your relationship cannot be only via text or via comments on an Instagram post. Mm -hmm. Like that's not enough. Um, and I think too, I mean, I obviously am a huge fan of social media, <laughs> I make my entire living off of it. But I think, like, I've thought a lot about this, and I really think the rise in social media 
is a direct result of our social nature as human beings, right? Like we thrive and need in order to really truly survive relationships. Mm -hmm. We need, we need to be social, right? You can look at good grief. You can look at like studies of children who were not held as babies and how they're like tend to be even sicklier Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. than children who were just held. Yeah. Right. Like just, just had a little bit of human interaction. So I think, I think it comes from a really good place, these social media apps and Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and all this kind of stuff, because we want connection. But the problem is, is when we think or believe that that connection that that app creates is enough Mm -hmm. to sustain a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I agree. I was listening to, in, in preparing for this talk, I was like, te- I was looking at TED Talks and research articles. And there's this one TED Talk where, uh, on loneliness, where the speaker is um, very pro social media because that's where he found belonging. And that's where he was able to, like, in kind of this non-judgmental, a little safer, like you can put yourself out there. And if you're rejected, you close your laptop and walk away perhaps, right? It's a little less than face-to-face rejection, Mm -hmm. but he found a lot of other people who were also feeling lonely. But I think, I mean, obviously Katie and I are not like doomsday. Social media is bad. It's so good in so many ways, but it has to go beyond that. Like you find that group and that connection in social media and saying like, I'm lonely or this, these are my interests and it's got to go like a step further. Yeah. It's got to go deeper. I have one, um, I call her my blog mom. (laughs) <laughs> she's um her name is Shelly she's my mom's age but we met via Facebook we met in a Facebook group and I would consider her a good friend but she is a social media friend like I've never had coffee with her oh, wow. we've never gotten lunch we don't live in the same state we have actually talked on the phone a couple times but about more work-related things than actual relationship stuff but and I, and I, I love the relationship that we have, but I think the reason it works as a true friendship, but one that's completely based on social media is because we also have really deep conversations via text and messaging apps and emails, right? Mm-hmm. So like I knew when her mom passed away, mm. right? And sent her a fruit basket and she knew, you know, when I was moving and transitioning into a new job and I was freaked out by it. And like, yeah. we knew these intimate details about each other's lives, which made, and like, yes, we knew them all through social media, but it made a connection that often isn't there with social media, yeah. right? Like I know about you superficially because I see your posts, mm-hmm. but I don't know why you were in Florida when you took that beach pic, right? Right, right. <laughs> Well, and I think that's so interesting because I think it it speaks to, like, you guys had a shared interest, right? Right. And you let that shared interest cultivate a friendship. And it's interesting because in the same study, right, it says that 26% of people say that they don't have any hobbies or interests that can facilitate a friendship. I also find that so hard to believe. How do you have no hobbies or interests that could cultivate friendships? Because I think millennials have to be workaholics. I have to have like three side hustles to get out of debt because the education system <laughs> robbed me. Like, yeah. Yeah. But you even know? that, then like you, whatever. So you get a job at Starbucks and then like you True could life. get to know your coworkers. Yeah. Right. 
Like, but that that feeds back to like our that level of vulnerability. People feel as though they don't have hobbies, right? And that it, even if they do, it takes a level of vulnerability to connect with those people doing those things. Right. Well, and I think too, it is true. I mean, our workaholic. We're doing an entire episode on. We are <laughs> workaholism. Whoa. Work. I don't know how you say that. Anyway, being a workaholic, and we're gonna do a whole one, but. I think being a workaholic and having that mentality is actually a way to hide our loneliness. Mm. Well, it's an acceptable justification. Exactly. You don't get to not have friends if you're just sitting at home. Right. But if you're hustling. Right. And I think, and it's easy to then numb that that feeling of loneliness and that feeling of like, I have nothing to do on Friday night because like, well, even if I did have someone to do something with on Friday night, I'm so busy I couldn't. Right. Whereas really we're just not willing to look at that, Mm. you know, like in the eye critically and be like, well, I'm a workaholic because I actually am super lonely and Mm. I'm hiding this loneliness through this busy, busy, busy Mm -hmm. facade persona. Yeah. Facade. And like, we are busy. Like, let's be honest. Everybody works and has side hustles and you know, whatever. But we use that as a shield or a mask. Yeah. I think often. I agree. Um, well, and Katie and I also have been brainstorming. It's one thing to just talk about loneliness and like sort of what we consider the causes of it, but it's a whole other thing to talk about how to avoid loneliness or how to get out of loneliness. And I think, um, you know, Katie, I heard you say earlier, like one of the things that helped you was just acting like you were a Bostonian and getting yes. yourself involved and just asserting yourself into that culture, into that time. Um, you know, and I think that that sort of speaks to the last statistic we just read, but like having interests and hobbies and it doesn't have to be like this big thing that you have to go spend a lot of money on. Um, you know, yeah, there are Join a group. free run clubs yeah. in local neighborhoods and there are... And most community centers have some kind of like watercolor class <laughs> or basket weaving. I mean, not basket weaving, but like photography. Right. You know, I took a photography class last year and it was awesome. And like, I didn't like make any lifelong friends in it, but I was social. I was getting out. I was seeing the same eight people every week for eight weeks. That yeah. was kind of cool. Well, and so it's funny. I belong to this gym and I am not like a morning 5 a.m. gym rat and except on Fridays because I have a 5.30 a.m. fitness class that I love. And one of the reasons I love it is because A, Erica, my trainer, kicks my butt every time. <laughs> she is like so intense. But also she creates such a family atmosphere that like I know people in the class by name and they know my name. And like, you know, Mike was missing for like three weeks and he's a pretty consistent class attendee. So someone was like, who has Mike's number? See if he's okay. Like, oh my goodness, that is such an, and it's just as simple as like going to this class and showing up and staying committed and like people know my name and I'm going to put forth effort in remembering theirs. And it's, the only reason I can get up that early in the morning. Right. <laughs> like, I know I sound like a broken record, but I do think this is part of what makes Orange Theory <laughs> such a um, such a popular workout thing now because every single trainer knows my name. Hmm. And I know all the people who are at the 8.30 a.m. class because that's the usual time that I go, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. 
Like, and I know them all. And the ladies are adorable and they're lovely. And it's like little social hour. Like one mm. of the trainers always laughs. He's like, you're obviously not running hard enough if you can talk to the person next to you on the treadmill. <laughs> right? Because like yes. there's a community right. aspect. And I think we see more and more of those kind of things kind of cropping up yeah. again because we're social by nature. And like I yeah. can go to the gym and run on the treadmill by myself with headphones in or I can go and work out with these 24 people right? who I see, you know two or three days a week and and we have this shared bond of like sweating it out when Jeff's yelling at us to like push it harder you there know? was this this reminds me of there was a study done um on like the commuter rail the train oh, into yeah. the city and um they did right like a control group where they got they grabbed a bunch of participants and they're like just do what you normally do on your commute they had a group of people who were intentionally supposed to ignore and avoid social connection then they had a group of people who were supposed to initiate social connection with the other people on the train car and they you know surveyed these people and they expected to be the most happy doing their own thing and they expected to be the least happy having to socially connect and it was the exact opposite yeah people who were forced to socially connect with those around them sitting on the train were happier and this person sends their study right to the head of the i forget which train company it was to the head of the train company and they replied and they're like this is so interesting we're actually rolling out quiet cars Mm-hmm. starting in the new year. It was the L. It was the L. They're, we're actually rolling out quiet cars. And this researcher was like, wait, but why? And it's like, well, we sent out a survey and that's what people said they wanted. And again, our minds trick us. We right. said that in the last episode. Our minds trick us. We think we just want you, like, don't talk to me. And I'm just going to read my book or I'm going to listen to my music. And for the love of God, do not speak to me. Right. And it's the exact opposite. And so he asked him, he's like, well, have you ever conducted a study like this before for your train? And um, they were like, no, we haven't conducted a formal study, but, you know, we have had social cars before. They were the bar cars and they shut them down because they were too packed. Yeah. And I'm like, that just reinforces what the study found, that the cars that were the most packed were the bar cars. Now, there might be a couple of reasons for that, but <laughs> end of the work day, <laughs> getting a drink. But that's a speaks to like the, our social right. nature exactly. and how we do want to connect with people. Um, and I think too, you know, there are so many things you can find online of groups you can join that have meetups or whatever. And if you don't find one, start one, start your mm -hmm. own. I just read over, um, at the very end of December, Cal Newport's, um, digital minimalism. I'm not the biggest fan of this book. Oh. However, he does have a really interesting part about, again, kind of this social nature and the need to, like, be involved and, like, have hobbies and join things. But he talks about, like, if you can't find it in your area, just start one. Mm -hmm. And you'll be surprised what happens. And I think when I look back now, when I moved to Boston, Boston was probably one of the hardest <laughs> places can, that I lived. I, I was there relate. two years. Um, and kind of a very lonely, surrounded by tons of people, but very lonely time. Um, but while I was there, I helped co-start the Boston bloggers kind of network and we would host a meetup every month or every other month at like a local bar or restaurant or whatever, just for bloggers to mm -hmm. get together and talk blogging. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. I loved these events because we just got together. We talked about the thing that we did, which it was a hobby for all of us at the time. No one was making money off of blogging at that time. And we just, it was just a social hour of people who, 
could speak your lingo of SEO and reach and views and all of that kind of stuff that most of your friends couldn't or most of your acquaintances couldn't. And it was this great thing. And it turned into like, we ended up having a conference and I mean, it still exists today. I'm not there anymore, but it, it's great. I think that, so a couple of other takeaways, right, that Katie and I sort of talked about and some things that have helped us, maybe not every, not everyone is going to be able to, like, start something really big. True. I know that that would really, as I'm an extrovert, that would really intimidate me. <laughs> um, but I also think our ability to be vulnerable, our ability to do anything needs to be practiced and practiced and practiced. And it's that same analogy of like the muscle being strengthened and strengthened over time. And then you can do the really big hard thing of like these big social meetups. Um, And so it's really like little things like I would encourage and I try to do this. I try not to use self-checkouts and ATMs because Uh I have an opportunity to look someone in the eye and have maybe a small conversation with them or a larger conversation with them, depending on who it is and how social they are. <laughs> um, you know, and so I, it's that opportunity to have a conversation with someone. It's the opportunity to, and if we think of like our socialness has this battery that recharges my battery, maybe only for like five or 10 minutes, but it recharges it. And we have to constantly be recharging all day. It's as simple as, having some time and calling a friend instead of texting them and hearing their voice because we need to see each other face to face. We need to look at their eyes. We need to see their body language. We need to hear their voice. Like that's what is, that's what's recharging. Um, so I, yeah. Yeah. I, I being more introverted, um, do love all the self checkouts and (laughs) the ATMs and the drive throughs and whatnot. Um, but This is really funny, actually. When I was really young and I was so introverted, right, Um, I was forced to be the one to go in and buy donuts or buy milk at the grocery store so that my dad was hoping that I would be less less crazy introverted. Um, And now I do that to myself sometimes where I'll think, okay, I could go through this drive-thru or I could walk in and at least smile and wish someone a a good morning or Mm -hmm. a good afternoon Mm -hmm. as I'm getting my Starbucks or Mm -hmm. whatever. And so I try and kind of force myself to do little things like that. Or if I'm still using the self-checkout, which let's be honest, I probably am at least eight out of 10 times Mm -hmm. to thank the like one employee who's there manning the self-checkouts in case there's something that goes wrong as I'm walking out. Right. Right. Just like look her in the eye and say, thank you. Hey, thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah. Right. Or the security guard who's standing at the door, you know, checking the receipts, making sure you don't steal those Doritos. Yeah. You know, like (laughs) connection in that way is little true. That's not building a lifelong friendship with, you know, the security guard at Walmart, but it is creating that connection and filling that social Mm -hmm. need Mm -hmm. within me. Yeah. In that way, which I think is good. And then one of the other things that I think is a really good way for us to feel less lonely, and I have found this to be true in every city I've lived in, um, is to find ways to serve, especially serving and like giving of yourself to the less fortunate. So, um, Mm -hmm. and you know, whatever that means for you, right? Like if, if I don't know, homelessness is a, is a issue that's near and dear to your heart, then you're packing lunches and you're going mm-hmm. out and you're looking these homeless people in the face and you're saying, like, 
you are loved and here's a lunch, right? And Or let's talk or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Um, or when I lived in Boston, again, uh, one of the things that I did was on Thanksgiving and Christmas, there was an organization there and oh, the name slips my mind now. Um, but they packed dinners for homebound elders who had mm. no family. Mm. And then groups or individuals would then go and deliver these like mini little turkey leg yeah. and some cranberry sauce and stuffing to these homebound elders. And you just, you stay and visit and talk with them for an hour. And it was the thing that I looked most forward to every Thanksgiving and every Christmas, the two years that I lived there, because it was a way of being social, but also giving that sociability to people who probably have it even less than I do, right? People who are probably yeah. even more lonely than I am. Oh my gosh. And, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah. And I think there are so many ways to serve um, in our local communities. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd be shocked. This year alone, I was able to do like all sorts of different things. I worked with the night ministry in Chicago and helped clean a place for um, homeless youth, oh. right? I mean, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And and those things really help us feel less lonely because they also help us think less about ourselves yeah. and more about others. Which is huge. Yeah. Because I think a lot of loneliness stems from like, me, 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 me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to think about me all the time and whoa, woe is me. And when we can think a little bit less of ourselves and a little bit more of those around us, we're going to automatically be less lonely. Yeah. I think. No, because I think it connects us at this, like, really human level, this, like, very deep level of, like, mm -hmm. serving each other and fulfilling very real needs, especially, I mean, Katie and I are in Chicago, and it is, well, it's actually warm here today. It's, like, 40 <laughs> degrees, but it, it is traditionally very, very cold, and, like, there's so many opportunities to, like, donate old winter coats yeah. and to, you know, help with these, like, facilities who are housing, mm -hmm. you know, people, homeless people mm -hmm. during these, like, really cold months and so on. Um, I think that's really big. I think yeah. it's huge. So we've talked about some of... We've talked about a lot today, but I mean, we've talked about <laughs> so some takeaways much. or things to help with loneliness. But what's one of your takeaways? So part of oh, my one takeaway and I guess it's from this conversation but also I've been thinking a lot about this topic um with the new year and all of that kind of stuff and one of my kind of goals for 2020 is to um push myself to text a little bit less mm. and take the plunge and make phone calls and for me that's really hard I hate the phone <laughs> I, if I could never talk to someone on the phone again in my life I would probably be very happy well I think I would be very happy yeah. but your I probably wouldn't because my mind's tricking me but I hate the phone so for me I'm trying to make the concerted effort of picking up the phone and calling someone instead mm -hmm. of texting them on occasion mm -hmm. um, to foster deeper connections and deeper relationships. So that's my kind of takeaway and my goal for 2020 that's to big. kind of combat this and have better, more that's meaningful big. relationships. That's big. You, Mona? Um, I think I'm trying to be, well, one of my takeaways. You think you're trying? I think I'm, try <laughs> I think I'm trying. Well, look, it's like what? Day three of January. Just kidding. This is not my new year's resolution, but after this conversation and I think it often 
comes in the little things. And so being more intentional with what I am doing. So like, yes, I have a gym membership, but at least once a week I go to a class Mm -hmm. to be with people. Um, yeah. Or can you work out with someone? Can I, right. Do I work out with someone or do I not work out with music? You know, like I always say hello when they like scan me into the gym. I'm always like, hi, how are you? Like, you know, yuck yeah. up conversation. Um, but being more intentional with what I'm already doing. So like not using the self-checkout yeah. and maybe standing in line and having that conversation with that person in line being like, oh, that food looks good. Like, I don't know, right? <laughs> Just super awkward. Lean into it. Um, be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Lean into it. Whatever. And so just being more intentional with the things I'm already doing mm-hmm. to cultivate that socialness, that social need. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, I think it's been helpful. I joined a soccer league. I go to that workout class. I try to connect with people when I'm, you know, at the store or whatever. And I, I, it's slowly, it's slowly helping. Mm-hmm. I think that's good. I th- so remember, trust the process. And we're thriving, not just surviving. Imperfectly yours, Katie and Mona. Stay tuned for our next episode on cultivating silence in your life. We're going to talk about the physical, mental, and emotional benefits of silence and how to get more of it in your everyday life. Shh. Silence. Quiet. We'd love to hear your feedback, takeaways, and any aha moments that struck you while listening. Screenshot this episode and share it on social media. Tag us on Instagram at the Imperfect Millennials or slide into our DMs. Or send us an email at hello at theimperfectmillennials.com. You can also read the transcripts of this episode on our website, www.theimperfectmillennials.com.